Good morning, Smithfield Baptist Church. That's a hearty one. I don't have to challenge you today. There's, if we don't have to do it again, that was a hearty, well, good morning. It is a gorgeous day to be in the house of the Lord. We'll get through the formalities and talk about the weather. I am a fan of it being cool. Never let it be hot again, at least this year, or maybe ever. I would be fine. I know there's some people that were like, no, please, 100 all the time. Not me. I'm out of that. So now that we've got the formalities of the weather out of the way, let's get into the Word of God. Amen? Today, we are going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 through 11. If you all will turn there to with the, turn to there with me today. 1 Thessalonians as a whole is a very short book. In my audio book in the car, it's 11 minutes on the dot and he reads at a moderate pace. So you can get through this fairly quickly, but it is still so packed with theological wisdom and truth that I believe Paul shared to the benefit of the Thessalonians then and he definitely shares to the benefit of us today. The message is still the same regardless of what era you've lived. The church of Thessalonica had done extremely well in the faith by Paul's and the others with him reckoning. Verse 4 and 5 of chapter 1, if you want to flip over there, it's not that far away, testified to the power of the Holy Spirit that had been shown in this body. This is verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. This was a church that was convicted of their need for a Savior and convicted of their need of a Holy Spirit. And he had manifested there in this body. However, there were still a couple of things in the first letter that Paul did feel the need to address as instruction. These things were most likely questions that the Thessalonians had asked in a report given by Timothy to Paul. One major piece of instruction he gave to this church was regarding the dead in Christ, as well as concern over Christ's return and when that would be, when that return would be. Our passage today will be over, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, and detail the warning and the hope laid in the promise of Christ's return, because it is a twofold message, a warning and a hope. Let's read this together today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. This is the word of God. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. 
Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this word. We thank you that we can have peace and joy in your return because you have died on the cross to save us from the wrath that we earned with our sin. We love you and we want to explore that today and seek your face in that. And I pray that I hear you in a new way, that I hear you in a new light and that everyone in this room can hear you afresh and see you anew and see something different in your word today, something that could be life-changing for them. You have a word for each person in this room, including me, and we all need to hear you come through. I pray you remove me from this situation and you yourself stand before this church and present your gospel. We love you, and we pray all these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen. Amen. Many, many people have wondered when the second coming of Christ will be. And that is a big topic in 1 Thessalonians. There are many references to the Christ's return, or the kingdom's return. Many have wrongly stated, he's coming now, or he will be here at this time. How many people remember 2012 when they were sitting there on December 31st of 2011 and thought for sure the moment 2012 come around, something horrid was going to happen? How many people, that was when the Mayan calendar ended. People thought the same thing in 2000, that the new millennium would usher in something crazy and God was going to do something crazy. People have always thought that something was going to happen on their timetable. But the Bible is clear that no one is ever going to know. The moment we look around and think, surely the time is now, surely he's coming back now. I mean, he has to be coming back now. We are incorrect. Paul is offering encouragement for us today in this passage as well. Jesus is going to arrive in his second coming as the judge of all the world, and it will be judgment day. It is coming. He will return and redeem his church. He will judge the non-believers, those without relationship with him, and they will be cast down. He will judge the believers for their sins, try them in court, and find Jesus in the way. His righteousness paying the price. Where will you stand on that day? Covered by the blood of Christ is only he could ever pay or bound in a kingdom of sin. We see this in Matthew 24, 36. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. These Thessalonians also had that question and Paul had encouragement for them. They were concerned whether they would be prepared for that day. Our goal is to receive the word of Christ's return from Paul and hear its twofold message for the believer and for the non-believer. The message we see is this. Jesus is returning to judge the world and redeem the church when we least expect it. Are you part of his kingdom? That's our main point for the day. Jesus is returning to judge the world and redeem the church when we least expect it. Are you part of his kingdom? When the Lord Christ Jesus returns, when we least expect it, where will you stand? Humanity belongs to either the darkness or the light. There will be no escape for the sin bound on that day, but there is hope for the believer. The time is now. Will we be expecting the king's return? 
The first thing we need to look at is Jesus' surprise arrival. He will arrive like a thief in the night. We see this in verse 2 of our passage. Look back with me. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That is unexpectedly. Plain and simple. We see this in other passages such as Matthew 24, 42-44. If anyone wants to flip over there, it's Matthew 22, 42-44, but it's also on the screen. Never take anybody's word for it. Read it out of the Bible yourself. Anyone's word. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the moment we tag it and say, this is then, this is now, you're expecting it. And he's going to come when you least expect it. There is a connotation of nighttime in these passages. And the nighttime here is a reference to sleepiness, to unawareness of being unprepared. It's laying down your head when you should be staying awake and being ready for something to come for you. This also shuts down any of those who know Christ is coming at a certain time. This passage submits, a, these passages submit a clear warning. Jesus is returning when we least expect it. Are you going to be ready and prepared? We say, Caleb, what, what does that mean? Be prepared for what? I thought I, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm part of the church. I'm prepared, aren't I? And maybe you are. But let's examine this further. This warning is especially potent for those outside of the faith, outside of Christ Jesus. But we'll breach that when we get into our second point later in these following verses. This Thessalonian church, this faithful and obedient church, were fully aware of that fact, however. They were indeed fully aware, as Paul states, looking back at verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware. There wasn't a one of them that didn't believe that Christ could be coming back at any moment, and they acted like it. This church is prepared for that day to come at any time. Yet there was still apprehension and questioning. They still needed encouragement. Lots of times we can know the truth of the gospel, and we believe it. But there are moments where we start to waver. Is this really true? Is this really happening? It happens to me. And I know it happens to those around. And it happened to the Thessalonian church. They knew it and yet needed encouragement. And Paul offers that same encouragement to us today. Are we, Smithfield Baptist Church, prepared for him to arrive? If Jesus came back with this whole entourage and the trumpet sound, as Brother Peter read in 1 Thessalonians 4, with a great cry... And you said, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for this. I am not ready. He knows all my sins. He knows what I've done. He knows that I'm not right right now. He knows I'm sinning against him currently, and he's going to look at me, and if he looks at me, I might die. That's how I, in my heart, would probably feel if Christ was come down and looked at my son and said, hey, son, how you doing? You ready to go home? You ready to come be with me? I'd be like, my God, how could I? You, you know all the nasty parts of me. Are we prepared then to see that and face that reality? Are we as a church fully aware that Jesus will arrive unexpectedly as a thief? In fact, when we least expect him. We saw that in Matthew and 
Thessalonians, when we least expect him, in the moment where you may think you're the weakest, in the moment where things may seem peaceful and calm and no need for a savior, he may return then. The moment we look around and think, surely the time is now, we're incorrect. Humanity belongs, this is our second point, there is a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. And that goes back to our VBS themes, right? Those of you who are here for VBS, that was the whole point. What kingdom are you going to stand in? But it applies to us today. Our first point was, will we be expecting the king's return? Since he's coming back, what kingdom are you a part of? That's our second point. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. You know he's coming back. Humanity belongs to either the darkness or the light. Because we know that, we should be aware he is returning, and we must ask ourselves where we are spiritually with Christ. And this is where we get into the warning. Verses 3 to 5 are very clear that there are two sides you can stand on. Look with me in verses 3, and five, three to 5. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. We start this idea then of the two kingdoms in this passage, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. Let's first look at it and examine this kingdom of darkness from the perspective of Jesus' return. The kingdom of darkness is masterful in keeping everyone sleepy and unprepared, unaware of the judgment just around the corner. Masters of it. Those who are resting in their sin with a false sense of security and peace will fall headlong into his return unprepared. We take a lot of effort sometimes to build up all the things that our society or the world tells us will give us peace and security. Money, a good house, a family. Everything that can build us up and we think, ah, we are secure. We're good. I have nothing to worry about. But that's not what Paul, or that's not what Paul is telling the Thessalonian church right now. They have built up this peace and security, but what they're feeling peace and security from is God's wrath that they have not addressed from their sin nature. Even more than that, Paul makes it clear that it will be too late to turn to the kingdom of light at that time. Look back at verse 4 or verse 3. Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. What then is the warning? There's a hope side to this, but right now you've got to understand if the Lord were to return the moment you exit this building and you're caught in the kingdom of darkness, that is game over. It's done. But there is hope. While he is here, while we have time, choices can be made. Lives can be changed. Movements can be brought forward. We as Christians sometimes can convince ourselves that it is not okay, that it is okay to not take our sins as seriously as we ought. Just as 
these people convince themselves it's okay to not address the sin in their life. And it's okay to not be afraid of God's wrath. It's okay. I don't have to worry about it. I'm good. He's not going to come after me. He's not coming for a long time. I can deal with it later. And sometimes we can think we can deal with it later. However, Paul iterates there will be no escaping the consequences of our sin. Those enslaved to their sin will bear the full measure of their sin if found in the kingdom of darkness when Jesus returns. That is inescapable. We'll see a similar image of that in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That is the lot we start in. Then the default position... Whether we want to hear it or not, the default position is death, the second coming, the judgment. Now, we breach the kingdom of light. That's one side of the picture. And it is true. But there's a kingdom of light that we belong to and we invite others into. Let's look at that today. This is of the light. The only reason we then can have peace as believers in relationship with Jesus at his return is because Jesus himself paid the consequence for our sin. He has paid the price you cannot pay. Jesus himself makes us citizens of light, paying the price, and provides the answer to the kingdom of darkness. He did not abandon someone to the kingdom of darkness while there is time here on this earth. He did not abandon them to their sin and death. He has provided a way out. Are we willing to grasp that? Are we prepared to accept that as reality that could shape at any moment? Look at verses 4 to 5 with me. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. We gain this comparison of dark and light by looking at verse 4. For again, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. But is the contraction that sets us apart. Every piece of our passage before this belongs to darkness, or we will say the kingdom of darkness. But you are not. It immediately turns the page. We are not of that kingdom as believers in Jesus Christ. We're set apart from that darkness and saved from it by Jesus Christ alone. Hear the hope in that, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Brother Todd touched on that every person in our life somehow, sometime today, every person you see has dealt with darkness, external, internal, or otherwise. We have seen the effects of sin in our own life or in the effects of sin in someone else's life or maybe all of the above. Christ is telling us that if you come to me, believe in me, and take up my shield of faith, you're not part of the darkness anymore. You can step away from that. 
our pain that would have descended on us the same way as those in the darkness in verse 3 is taken on and paid for in the death of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 3 and all the mothers in the room know immediately what this is talking about. Look back at verse 3. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Now, from my limited male understanding, sometimes the labor pains can come on slowly and they get more and more. And sometimes they hit like a truck and you didn't see it coming and oh my gosh, the time is now. That's the urgency that Paul is trying to express here. Oh my gosh, the time is now. It is now. We are going now. I am feeling this now. And I can't escape it until this baby is through. Until this baby has come. That's the urgency Paul wants us to see here. We are children of the daytime. And that has a different connotation than children of the night, like we mentioned before. It's willingness. It is readiness, standing and waiting for the moment to arrive. The parable of the ten virgins where their lamps are lit and they, half of them don't buy the oil, don't prepare themselves, and the oil goes out. They turn to their comrades and say, give me some oil, give me some oil for him to get here. They say, no, you weren't prepared. I'm going into the house and you can stay out here. They had fallen asleep. They had become ill prepared and they paid the cost. But as children of the daytime, we are called to be prepared. And not because we must be prepared or we will be burned or be punished as well. But we are prepared because our price has been paid. Because he paid the price, we are prepared. The, the idea can sometimes be, well, Christ has saved me. Christ has done, the, done all the hard work. I'm good. I can dust it off and sit in the back and lay down. I'm good. And while, yes, you can sit back and do nothing, that is not obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ, once you have become part of His family, is to stand at readiness and willingness and motivation to give of yourself, of your heart. That's what being a child of the daytime looks like. We are not of that kingdom as believers in Christ Jesus. We are set apart and saved from it. We must do this because the gift of Jesus Christ is so powerful and so freeing. That day is not to be one that surprises us. We must stand ready and willing to serve as if Jesus is returning that very second. Has somebody ever asked you to do something genuinely? Hey, can you help me? Like, they're not being mean. They're not trying to get anything out of you. They genuinely need your help. Listen, I've got to go away. Can, can you change the tire on my car? I've got to go to this meeting, but I, I, I got to, can you please just help me? And you say, yeah, 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 I'll help you. I'll do it. I got it. They get back. It's not done. Maybe you just plain forgot. Maybe you just said, I'll get around to it. And that person comes along and they were genuinely wanting your help and they weren't being hateful or whatever. And they say, well, hey man, what, why's my tire not changed? What's going on? You said you were going to do this. Like, now I'm stuck. I've got to change it myself, and I've got to go. What do you mean? Why has my tire not changed? Flip this into a Christian context. Christ Jesus 
spills his very blood for you on a cross. Spills everything out for you and says, okay, I've done this. Can you help me share my, share my story? Share my word. Share the gospel. Can you help me? The least you could do is help me. I died for you. You don't have to live in this kingdom of darkness. You don't have to live in this kingdom of pain. The least you can do is help me out here. And when he returns, he looks down at you and says, my son, where's my story? My daughter, where's the story? You said you're going to help. That does not negate his love. That does not negate his mercy or his grace on your life. But I know I wouldn't want to stand under that disappointment. I wouldn't want to stand under knowing that I could have done more for my king. That's the preparedness that a child of light, a child of the daytime must expect. He is the one that made us citizens love light, and we owe him our readiness and our willingness for his return. We owe him that, as we owe him the breath we breathe and the steps we take and the bodies we have. Our third point here, there is hope and there is hopelessness. So now we must ask ourselves, why does any of this matter? What was Paul teaching the Thessalonian church, and, and what is he teaching us now through the Holy Spirit? What is the task laid before us in light of this truth? Let's start with this one truth. The price of sin will be paid. Regardless of the individual human, the price is paid. For the wages of sin is death. And Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The price will be paid. The beauty then of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And we simply have to believe him in that and trust him that it's true. He paid the price that must be paid. Verse 9 tells us the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Our lot is not to be cast down in wrath, but holy salvation through Jesus Christ. He is our faith and our shield. Because he paid that price, we literally owe him our lives. So what's the price of admission then? We see very clearly that the marks of these two kingdoms then are determined by who pays for the sin. Who pays the cost. In the kingdom of darkness, you pay for your own sin. The truth of that is, if you're trying to pay for your own sin, the result is damnation, death, and eternal separation from God, period. You try to pay it on your own, it is not possible. There is no way. In the kingdom of light, Christ Jesus paid the price for our sin as only he could. He was the perfect sacrifice, the only one who made it possible. The only way you can ever come to Christ, come to heaven, is through him. He made it possible. 
so that we can share his righteousness as our own. He afforded us the peace and the light and the ability to escape the wrath of God for our sin. Now, this is a word Brother Peter's brought up, and I had to learn myself, but it is the absolute correct word. The word is propitiation, which is wrath-bearing substitute. Jesus stands in front and says, I will bear the wrath they deserved. I bore it. I took it to a cross. I paid for it, and they're clean. Now my righteousness is theirs. If you are willing to accept him in a relationship, Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. He alone bears the wrath. 1 John 2.2 says that very thing. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That means whoever will call upon His name can be saved. The price is paid. That means they are just choosing to be in the kingdom of darkness. You can choose to be in King God's kingdom and choose to be in the kingdom of light or choose to remain where you are. The offer is there. The ability is there. Christ has paid the price. If you are a child of light, a child of Christ Jesus, you can rest assured you are not in the kingdom of darkness and Christ is standing in your rightful judgment place. That is the hope you can have. So what is the task at hand? Now, because Jesus paid that price, and he is returning soon when we least expect it, we have a job to do and a hope to share. While the one who is found in the kingdom of darkness when the Lord returns is bound in paying for their sins, we in the kingdom of light can find peace and hope in the price paid for by Christ Jesus. In light of that, we have a responsibility to share that truth with those that are bound in the kingdom of darkness. This matters to me. This mattered to the Thessalonians, and it should matter to the church in Smithfield, Kentucky. These Thessalonians truly believe that Jesus was coming back soon, in the near future. Near as in maybe the next day. My brothers and sisters, he still is. His return can be at any moment. And we are told in this passage and others that it will be when we are at our least prepared. So we must maintain preparedness at all times. Maintain an air of being ready and able and willing to serve at all times. More than that, it matters to us as daily missionaries in our lives. Those that you love, or maybe you yourselves, have this one chance to free yourself from your sin-bound life through Jesus Christ alone. The morning and message is this, don't wait. In fact, you cannot wait. The time is now. We are expecting our king at any time. It's like a birthday guest. You've set up the surprise party. You've set up everything, and all you're doing is waiting for the guest to arrive. And when the guest arrives, usually they're the one being surprised, but you were prepared. This is if the, the groom is coming to take his bride home. Is the bride, the church, going to be prepared? Therefore, we must share 
the good news of the gospel to all who need to hear it before it's too late so they can make that choice for the offer to be laid before them. There's an urgency in being prepared for the return of the king. The time is now for the believer set free and the sin-bound in desperate need of their Savior. Some of you in this room are bound in that same darkness, residents of that same dark kingdom. While we still have time left on this earth, there is time to turn to righteousness and hope. The message of preparedness for Jesus Christ's return must be shared and the hope therein. Folks, listen. The joy that comes when you've put your hope in Jesus Christ is unmatched, unrivaled. It is the definition of hope. Period. And sometimes those that are bound up in their sin and caught, caught in what they're going through can't even begin to see it for a moment. But maybe the moment that turns the light on for them and they can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, which is Jesus Christ, is you stepping into a moment and saying, hey, my brother, my sister, how can I pray for you? Hey, my brother, my sister, where are you today? The Lord is coming. Where are you? The Lord is coming. I love you. And I want you to be with us in the kingdom of light when he returns. Don't be bound in your sin anymore. Don't be bound in what's holding you down. The chains that hold you. Christ died on the cross for that chain to be broken and to be washed in the blood of Christ. That's what he died for. For any person you may know, toiling away and suffering in the kingdom of darkness, they still have hope for salvation in their sin-torn life. Hope is alive because Jesus was resurrected. If Jesus had not been resurrected, we would all be bound in our sin in the kingdom of darkness. But because this king rose, because resurrection happened, hope is alive with Jesus. Love is alive in Jesus. And I believe that. Where will you stand? Because you have no time to wait. Just imagine the look on the creator. The look at the king when he comes down and sees you where you are. That could be the next second. The time for action is now. We must go and share the word for someone to have the opportunity to receive it. I was struck this week by the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. The Ethiopian eunuch said, how am he was reading the book of Isaiah and he asked Philip, how am I going to understand this unless somebody explains it to me? We must share that this hope can set free people bound in their sin before he arrives unexpectedly to redeem his church and judge the sin bound. The time is now, folks. Where are you today? If any of you realize, listen, I've got to get myself straight before God, before Jesus, before anything else happens. There are 
many people in this room that are willing to talk to you about that. Whether it's Peter, whether it's I, I know so many in this congregation would love to take the time and say, let's talk about that. And even if they don't know what to say, they will lead you to somebody who may help. Do not wait. We love to see when hope is kindled in a heart that was once dark. For that is, that is Jesus' hope in his death and resurrection. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Everything we have is you. Everything we have and, earn, and can gain is through you. We are no longer part of a kingdom of darkness. We are part of your light through you, my Lord. And if there's anyone in this room who needs your hope and your light in their life, I pray that the moment is now, that the time is now, that they hear you calling to them as you are. You are a great and powerful Lord, and above you there is nothing. There is nothing above you, my God. Let no idols be put above you. And let us worship none but you, even ourselves. Thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to say and do your kingdom work in everything that we are. We pray all these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen.